Well, last week we started a new sermon series on the subject of relationships. And because Jesus is the world's foremost expert on relationships, we're studying what he taught concerning the subject. Now, last week we looked at what Jesus said were the two most important commandments in the entire Bible. According to Jesus, out of the 613 commandments that you find in the Old Testament, the two most important are these. To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The first one deals with our relationship with God. The second one deals with our relationship with other people. Now, last week we studied the first and the most important commandment. So this week we're going to start studying the second most important commandment. To love your neighbor as yourself. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 35 through 40. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus in on verse 39. So follow along with me as I read this. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, let me direct your attention to the last part of verse number 39. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to underline the word neighbor. The word neighbor is translated from the Greek word plazion. And let me explain the etymology of this word. Now, does everyone know what I mean by etymology? Etymology is the study of the origin of a word and how its meaning evolved over time. So let me explain the origin of this word and how its meaning evolved. Originally, placeon meant near or close by. But over time, it came to refer to anyone who's next to you or in close proximity to you. And so we've kind of picked up this word and, and we think of a neighbor as the person who lives next door or maybe lives on our block. But I want you to understand in Christ's day, this word was used primarily to refer to anyone who was next to you or in close proximity to you. In fact, their military would use this word well, I'm going to take that back. Not their military. The Romans' military would use this word to describe what they would do when they fought. Many times in the heat of the battle, the Roman soldiers were taught to fight back to back. That way it didn't matter where anyone came from. Your front was protected and your back was protected because you were fighting back to back. So what the commander would do is he would say, he would say, Get your neighbor. And what he meant by that is the person that was in close proximity and then you turn and we're back to back with that person. Now, let me explain why the etymology of this word is so important. God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Because of that, he can multitask in ways that we can't even fathom. He can be everywhere at one time. God can be speaking to you. He can be speaking to everyone in the world at the same time. He can listen to everyone. And he can meet everyone's needs at the very same time. So loving everyone and expressing love to everyone is no problem for God. We, on the other hand, are finite beings. We have certain limitations. We can only be at one place at one time. And we have difficulty listening to more than one person at a time. Now... If you're like me, I can't do that. 
I don't like to be in a situation where two people over here are having a conversation and two people over here are having a conversation and then someone's trying to talk to me. I don't know if it's my ADD or my lack of hearing, but I can't carry on that type of conversation. I have to be able to listen to one person at one time. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot meet everyone's needs. And people, that is just a fact of life. Now here's what's great. God recognizes that we are finite beings and that we have these limitations. Therefore, he does not burden us with the commandments that we cannot do. That's why he told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I am so glad that God didn't say, I want you to love everyone as yourself. Because I don't have the ability to love everyone the way that God wants me to love everyone. And God recognizes that. He recognizes that I am a finite being with certain limitations. I am limited to being in one space or one place at one time. And there's only so many people that I can minister to. Therefore, God told me to love my neighbor, or in other words, those next to me or in close proximity to me as myself. Now, Jesus is a perfect example of how to apply this to our life. And let me show you why he's a perfect example. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. This is talking about Jesus. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And he was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Now, I want you to underline the phrase gave up in verse number 7. That phrase is translated from the Greek word kenao, and it means to empty. So what this is saying is that Jesus emptied himself of his deity powers when he came into this world. Now, scholars refer to this as the kenosis doctrine. So basically, Jesus had the same limitations that we do when he came into this world and he took on human form. And he could only be at one place at one time. And he couldn't minister to everyone or meet everyone's needs because of the limitations in his own human body. That's what Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 7 is telling us. That when he took on human form, he took on certain limitations. He emptied himself of his deity powers. He was no longer omnipresent. He couldn't be everywhere at one time. Therefore, he had most of the limitations that we have. Let me give you an example. Because this is so interesting here. Because when he came as a, as a human being into this world and he had these limitations, he still did everything that God wanted him to do. And therefore, when we study his life, we can see what God wants us to do. But let me give you an example of him having the same limitations that we do. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of John, the 11th chapter. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, this has happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. 
Now look at verses 11 through 14. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So we told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now I want you to jump down to verse number 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Now, let's do a little math here if you don't mind. When Lazarus became sick, Mary and Martha immediately sent a message to Jesus. But by the time Jesus received the message, Lazarus had been dead for how many days? Two days. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus waited two days before going to Mary and Martha. Now, we're assuming that he was in close proximity. They just couldn't find him. That's why it took that long to get the message to him. But when he arrived, how long was, had Lazarus been dead? Four days. So if he waited two days after he got the message before going to see Mary and Martha, and he went there immediately, then Lazarus must have been dead for two days by the time Jesus received the message. Does that make sense? So, it would not have mattered had Jesus immediately gone to Martha and Mary. Because by the time he got the message, Lazarus had already been dead for two days. But my point is this. Jesus could only be at one place at one time. He couldn't be every, everywhere at one time. That's why he told his disciples that it was necessary for him to go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit. Because he could only be at one pla in one place at one time, but the Holy Spirit could be everywhere at the same time. Now, because Jesus had the same physical limitations that we do, when he walked upon the earth. He's the perfect example of how to apply the second most important commandment to our life. So let me ask you a question. How did Jesus apply the command to love your neighbor as yourself? The answer is, he took this command literally. He loved whoever was next to him or whoever was in close proximity to him at the moment. That was the person that he ministered to. That was the person that he loved. And that's how he interpreted the term neighbor. But because of that, it meant that he was constantly being sidetracked from his own agenda. It meant that when he was going somewhere, he always had to stop and take time with people. It meant no matter what he wanted to do, when the crowd gathered, that he had to deny himself and minister to the people. And let me give you a good example of that. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Mark, the fifth chapter, verses 22 through 24. It says, Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. Now, Jairus is from Capernaum. And the reason it says a local synagogue is because... Jesus' camp, Jesus' hometown, we're not talking about Nazareth, but we're talking about once he started his ministry, was in Capernaum. And so he was coming to Capernaum, and as he got out of the boat, it says that a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now, 
I can imagine how Jairus felt. I have two daughters of my own, and if they were sick and Jesus was nearby, I would go and say, you need to come immediately. And so he went to Jesus, fell down in front of him, said, my little girl is sick. I'm afraid she's going to die. Please come with me. And so immediately, Jesus takes off, and he's following behind Jairus. And as he is going to Jairus' home, all of a sudden, the woman with the issue of blood stops Jesus. And the reason, or the way that she stops him is she actually touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. But Jesus felt the healing power of God leave his body. So when he felt the anointing of God, the healing power of God leave his body, immediately he stopped. And he turns around and he said, who touched me? And of course all the disciples thought, man, he's got to be crazy because everyone is touching him. He's a celebrity. He's walking through there. The crowd is all automatically gathered. And so everyone is touching him. But Jesus knew someone had touched him with faith. And he knew that the healing power had gone out of his body. He literally felt the anointing leave. So he turns around and he says, who touched me? And of course, we know the story. The woman comes forward. She shouldn't have been in the crowd because she was considered unclean. She should have stayed away from everyone, but she didn't. And Jesus takes time to minister to her. Now, I want you to put yourself in Jairus' place. Your daughter is sick. You believe that at any moment she could die. This is an emergency situation. You've gone to Jesus and you say, Jesus, my daughter is sick. She's almost die ready for death. I want you to come with me. Jesus is now hurrying with you. And then all of a sudden he stops to minister to someone else. Do you think your heart would be right? I know mine wouldn't be. I would think, so you've had an issue of blood. You've had this issue of blood for years. Could it not wait another 30 minutes? But Jesus stops on the way to this emergency situation and he ministers to that person you need to go back and read this and and really think about what this means but through this story we learn a very valuable lesson from Jesus and that lesson is this every day we come in contact with people who need to be loved every day we come in contact with people who need to be ministered to and God expects us to stop what we're doing and love them and minister to them because God considers them to be our neighbor Placeon. now let me prove this to you because we need to see how God thinks we need to understand how Jesus thinks because if God gives us a command to love our neighbor as ourself, we need to understand exactly who he's talking about. Who is our neighbor? So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 29. We're going to see the, the two great or the two greatest commandments, but we're going to see something else. And Jesus is going to use this as an opportunity to teach us who our neighbor is. Notice what it says. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to, etern to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, you are an expert in the religious law, and I'm kind of adding this, but you need to understand what he was thinking. You're an expert in the religious law. What does the law of Moses say? How do you interpret it? The man answered, you must love God. With all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. You do this and you will live. 
The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Or, who exactly is my neighbor? Now, how many of you remember what Jesus did after this man asked Jesus that question? Do you remember? He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. There was a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho who got mugged by thieves. And the thieves left him in the middle of the road and he was almost dead. And pretty soon after that, a priest came along and he just passed him on by. He didn't help him at all. And then a little bit after that, a Levite came by and he didn't help either. But then a Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he had compassion on him. Now, I want you to remember that the Jews despised Samaritans. The Jews thought of the Samaritans as half-breeds and sellouts. And the reason they were considered to be sellouts is because when the Assyrians came in and conquered the ten northern tribes, they took some of them out, and then they brought other people from other nations they had conquered and brought them in. And what the Jews had done is they had intermarried with these other nations, these women from other nations. And as a result of that, the two the Jews from the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, looked at Samaritans and thought, you're a sellout, you're half-breeds. And so they despised them. But this Samaritan, he stopped to help the man and he ministered to his needs. Now, after Jesus told this parable, I want you to notice what he asked the expert, this expert in the law. Notice what he said. Look at verse 36. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits. Now I want you to underline the word neighbor. Neighbor is translated from the same Greek word plazion, which originally meant near or close by. But remember, over time, it came to refer to any th anyone that was next to you or in close proximity to you. So technically, what Jesus was asking the man was this. Who was near the man who was attacked or who was in close proximity to the man now the answer to that technically was all three but only one of them acted like a true neighbor and obeyed the commandment to love his neighbor as himself the Samaritan now do you know what Jesus was trying to tell the scribe who asked that question he was telling him that whenever you see someone hurting or you see someone who needs help, you're to help them. You're to minister to them. Why? Because technically they are your neighbor. They are near you. They are in close proximity to you. So you need not think of a neighbor as the person who lives next door to you or maybe on the same block or maybe who works with you. What Jesus was trying to teach us, that God's perception is like this. Wherever you are, wherever you go, if there's someone that's near you or in close proximity to you, then God considers them to be your neighbor. And if they need help, you're to help them. If they need to be ministered to, you're to minister to them. And that's how God sees it. And that's why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. The one that they considered to be a half-breed. The one that they considered to be a sellout was the one who actually fulfilled the second most important commandment. And the scribe who was supposedly, a, 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 I'm sorry, the priest who was supposedly this uh, person who was serving God, he just passed on by and didn't obey the commandment. 
The Levite, who also served God, who should have known the commandment and done it, he passed right on by and he didn't help. Why? Because they didn't understand God's perception of who a neighbor is. doesn't matter where you go. doesn't matter what you do. Whoever is near you or whoever is in close proximity to you, God considers them to be your neighbor. Now, let's make some personal application to this because if we don't apply this to our life, then we won't be a doer of the word. We're going to be a hearer only, and then we're deceiving ourselves. So let's make some personal application. Let's suppose that you go to the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, because you just bought a new vehicle, and you're going to tag it. And as you go there, the person who's helping you, you notice that they're struggling emotionally. What do you do? Do you A, ignore it because you're in a hurry and you have lots of things to do? B, try to make a joke to lighten the mood and put a smile on their face? Or C, ask them what's wrong and ask if you can help? Well, obviously you know what the right answer is. It's C. I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. And every time this happens to me, I'm always in a hurry. It always takes place when I have so many other things to do. It's the time when I run into Walmart because i got to get this, and I have this, 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 and this. And someone stops me, and they'll say, Are you that pastor from Cornerstone Fellowship? Yes, I am. And I'm trying to say, have you ever been before? No, no. Well, good, we'd like to have you. Can I ask you a question? And inside I go, no. I got to do this and I got to do that. And I'm supposed to be here right now. And they go on. And they say, well, let me just ask you a quick question. You know it's never going to be a quick question. And so then they start telling you the story and you've got to listen to the entire history. And right there, that's when you're thinking, how can I get out of this as quickly as possible? And the Holy Spirit then comes to me and he puts this parable of the Good Samaritan in my mind. He brings it back to my remembrance. And he says, this is your neighbor. You need to love them as yourself. And at that point, I have to say, it doesn't matter where I'm going. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. Okay. Tell me the story. Let me focus in on your problem. Now, I don't always act that way. Sometimes I ignore God. Sometimes I'll continue on and then I try to justify it later on. Well, you know, God, I'm really on doing your business and I had to go here, which is part of ministry. Most of the time, though, the conviction is so strong I have to stop. And I remember one time in particular, I was driving home. And as I was coming, I just passed the First Assembly of God. And as I was going down on on the four lane there, I noticed that a woman had stopped. And this is before they had the, uh, what's that little addition back in there? Before they had built that little addition back there. She had just pulled over the side. She had her flashers on. And I noticed she got gotten out of the car. She would opened up the trunk and she was just standing there and all these cars were just whizzing by and of course I whizzed on by and immediately the Holy Spirit said you need to stop and help her and I thought to myself well you know all these other cars God I'm in a hurry I've already worked all this I've got places to go things to do you know someone will stop and help her and the Lord said you're that someone so I turned around and I went back and I have to be honest sometimes when God's having me do these type of things it's like 
get the job done and get out of here. Just do the most you can. So I stopped and she was thanking me for doing this. She said the tire was too heavy for her to get it out. And so I explained, well, if my, you know, my mom ever had a flat tire, I'd want someone to stop and help her. And so I stopped and I helped her change the flat. Now, I didn't know her and she didn't know me. But several weeks later, I heard from some people that I worked with that an elderly woman had a flat uh, tire on the side of the road and this young man had stopped and had changed her tire. And she was telling everyone she met how God had sent someone to help her. She had been standing there for 15 minutes. Of course, this is before cell phones and everyone had cell phones. She was just hoping a policeman would come or someone and everyone kept passing her. And she said, this young man turned around. And he came and he changed that tire. And she said, you know, the scripture says that we entertain angels sometimes unaware. But she was going around telling everyone how God had sent someone across her path to help her. And that's when it hit me. When we stop to help people, those people go away telling others that God had sent someone to help them. And people God is glorified. I want you to think about this. How many times have you ever been hurting or you've had a specific need and someone came along that you didn't even know and they seemed to say just the right thing to make you feel better or they did something to help you get out of the predicament you were in and what do you do when they leave? Hopefully, you say, thank you, God. And the reason you say thank you, God, is because you believe that God sent that person to specifically help you. You believe that God specifically sent that person to cross your path and to minister to you and meet the need that you have. So you were thanking God for what that person did. People, I want you to understand something. God is glorified every time we love our neighbor as ourselves. Every time we stop to help the person that's near us or the person that's in close proximity to us, God is glorified. And who is our neighbor? Anyone who's in close proximity to us. Plazion. Anyone who's nearby or in close proximity who needs our help or needs someone to minister to them. Now, there is a balance to this. There is a balance to this. Because there are times when we need our own personal time or we need some family time and we saw this with Jesus there were times when Jesus would sneak away from the crowd and he would go and get alone and pray to God there were times he would send the disciples on and all the people thought oh that's Jesus disciples they would follow them and he would go a different direction there were times when he just wanted to spend time with his disciples and so he would take them to a private place but I want you to understand that those times were rare. The majority of the time, wherever Jesus went, whoever needed help, whoever needed ministered to, Jesus saw them as his neighbor, Placeon. And that's the reason he told the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan, so that we would understand who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is anyone who is near us, we're in close proximity to us and needs our help. Now let me tell you why I bring this up. All of you have these great plans for this afternoon and tomorrow. 
You just want to kick back. You just want to have a good time. And I'm not speaking a curse on you. But many of you are going to come across people who need help. You're going to come across people who need to be ministered to. And inside you're going to go, no! This is Memorial Day weekend. I've been looking forward to this weekend. I've been looking forward to having time uh, to spend with my family or just to have fun time and downtime. I'm not going to mess with anyone else. This is me time. It's at those times, and it never ceases to amaze me, that God says, it's test time. And he's going to bring someone that's near you or in close proximity and they're going to need your help. And all of a sudden you're going to feel this check in your spirit that you're supposed to help them. Now that's a test. The two most important commandments in the entire Bible are to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. So this weekend, probably, I'm not saying it's going to happen to all of you, but probably the majority of you, you're going to get a chance to develop yourself, to develop your ability to hear God and apply the Word. And you're also going to get the ability, or have the opportunity, I should say, to glorify God. What you do is up to you.